Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. And it is time for us, and we are here, happily. Let the bells ring out and the banners fly. Feast your ears upon us. We are here. We are The Approach Shot. I am John Ashton. I am Neil Michaels, always happy when you drink in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Makes for such a great show. Your your level of smiles and enthusiasm goes up so much when that coffee cup is filled with bourbon. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I'm glad you're in such a good mood. It has been a uh, an amazing week around here. I know I hate to say this, I don't do the weather thing very much anymore, but it has been beautiful here. But I understand it's been pretty nice over there. It is November. People are throwing up uh, Christmas decorations already. Throwing it's... up from Christmas decorations? No, or... throwing up the Christmas decorations. <laughs> okay. Which I had, to put a, I had to put a big stop. I put the kibosh on that at our house. Yeah. I said, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't skip Veterans Day. We don't skip Thanksgiving. Thank you. Yes. But it's 78 degrees currently. We don't even have that here. I think it's 74 here. Oh, there you go. We win. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know we're about to head out on vacation again tomorrow. And my wife is so excited about going someplace where it's 45 degrees during the day and 20 <laughs> at night. And I said, that's because you haven't lived there. That's right. And it's going to be great. You're going to be like, oh, it's so toasty. You can put a fire on it. I'm like, yeah, but if we live there, would you do that every day? Yeah, you'd have to. Yeah. You'd have to. And then pay outrageous uh, heating bills. Exactly. Let her relive the Christmas of 1983 with me in Caribou, Maine, when it was 70, no, 37 degrees below zero. Yeah, that doesn't even, I don't even, without even the wind chill. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, without the wind chill. Yeah. Again, we talk about this. <laughs> Things that you don't say in Southern California, wind chill yeah. factor. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I wanted to to just share this with, with the folks that join us every week, whether you're downloading the podcast or whether you're listening to it on ApproachShot.net. But we, sir, you and I mm -hmm. are on the Redidio again. The Approach Shot is officially part of Golf News Network. You can hear us Thursdays at 10 p.m. and then they run the show again on the weekends. And your other podcast, Those Weekend Golf Guys, is on Saturday and Sunday on Golf yeah, News but... Network. So we just wanted to share the great news that we are part of Golf News Network. And you, so if you can't hear us, if you can't download the podcast for some reason, you can hear us where um, radio.com is. You can hear us in lots of places, uh, including all of the, the great iHeartRadio streaming services, Tune in, iTuner, places like that. So all over the radio and streaming services. Could I take a quick moment to uh, give a shout out to my co-host on that other podcast? The one we've already mentioned, those weekend golf guys? Yes, that one. Yes. Yes, you may. His name is Jeff Smith. He's a golf magazine top 100 teacher. And on the back page of the November, December issue of Golf Magazine, he has an mm. article on how to hit a great drive. Is that right? Yes, sir. Wow. Yep. That's pretty amazing. Hey, I do have a bone to pick with you, though, sir. That's amazing. Congratulations, Jeff. Get in line. <laughs> so I'm looking, so I'm looking at I'm I'm downloading those weekend golf guys to listen to your show. Uh-huh. 
And who was your guest last week, Jonathan? Was it Howard Johnson by any chance? It wasn't Howard Johnson. You just talked about him a lot because of uh, a lesson given. I was going to say, don't be poaching the, the approach <laughs> shot for guests. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't do a thing like that. <laughs> no, no. We got, we got, there's a line here. There's yeah. church and state. That's right. That's this, just, I'm not sure which this is, but. <laughs> we were just talking about giving a lesson to a, a, a accomplished athlete in something other than golf. Right. How strangely easy it was. He was coachable. Eminently oh, wow. coachable. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I think accomplished athletes are, I mean, they do that. They, they are all eminently coachable. Yeah. yeah well, DJ's not so much. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. We, well, that's great. And and see this I feel like this has come full circle. We got we got Hojo on the show. He was terrific. He asked if we knew anybody that could help him with that. He gets to talk with Jeff who is one and of is, the yeah, great golf instructors. The, right and he's right next door. Yeah. And now what we need to do is circle back with Hojo and find out if his game improved at all <laughs> well maybe yeah you know <laughs> you know it's our job to set it up it's not our job to teach him <laughs> exactly <laughs> and it's his job to teach him but it's not his job to make sure he practices so that's exactly go. right here's yeah. how you do it now it's up to you <laughs> that's right although I, I gotta tell you the one thing that i have learned is just changed my life basically from jeff and i earned one of the first things he ever told me was he said somebody who wants to do this right will practice until they do it right. Somebody who wants to be great at this will practice until they can't get it wrong. I feel like I'm sort of in between. I'm the guy who continues to practice and do it wrong. <laughs> it's, it's perhaps I need productive. Perhaps I should call Jeff and <laughs> or somebody. Maybe, maybe he can tell me why. <laughs> Having the club upside down, something like that. <laughs> yes. Well, we're excited about today. The interesting thing is John and I try really hard. Well, I try really hard not to be a homer on my teams. You don't try that at all. I don't know what no, I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Having grown up in the Baltimore, Washington area, I was never a huge Baltimore Orioles fan, but mm -hmm. there certainly was an immense amount of respect for guys like Cal Ripken and Boog Powell and Frank Robinson and Brooks Robinson right. growing up. It was a team yeah. that you that you had to admire. And Definitely. we have the first Baltimore Oriole player that's ever been on our podcast. Now we did have Phil Bradley a year and a half ago and he played for the Orioles for a little bit. And Fred Lynn played for the Orioles for a little bit. I'm talking mm -hmm. about a lifelong Baltimore Orioles player. And I'm very excited to talk with him today. Drafted by and um, still holds records of. Indeed. He was one of those guys that when the discussion of who belongs in the hall of fame comes around, my take on it is if you were dominant and feared when you played, you should be in the hall. How long you played shouldn't be taken into account because no. if you had injuries or something happened in your life where that was just the end of your career, it shouldn't be, well, he didn't have 300 wins or he didn't have 500 home runs. It should be, did you lead the league in those categories when you were playing, Dale Murphy? If right. you did, you should be in the hall. Fred exactly. <laughs> I, I believe that Greg Olson, our guest today, should be considered for the Hall. 
a hundred percent, batting a thousand with home runs. Every hit he had was a home run. <laughs> See, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and we'll explain that when we come right back. <laughs> we are the Pro Shop. Hang out with us. Greg Olson's coming up next. Is hiring a challenge? Yes. Do you love a challenge? Also, yes. You need a hiring partner, though, that can help you rise to that challenge. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's powerful hiring platform can help you do it all right there. They streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. So if you're like us, a small organization that doesn't have a whole lot of time to hunt down people, well, Indeed makes the hiring process all in one place easy. Candidates we invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to the job here than candidates who only see it in a search somewhere. That's according to US Indeed data. And we get one step closer to the hire by immediately matching with quality candidates. Our job, quality candidates, matched. Bam. Just like that. Want to try it? Of course you want to try it. We want to help you try it, too. You can start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash approach. The offer is good for a limited time, so, you know, don't sit around and dawdle, okay? Claim your $75 credit right now at Indeed.com slash approach. Do you know in the minute we've been talking... 16 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed Data Worldwide. So just go to Indeed.com slash approach and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash approach. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire? Well, then you need Indeed. Again, $75 sponsored job credit for you right now. Go to Indeed.com slash approach. And thanks for hanging and coming back. We are still the approach shot. I am still John Ashton. I am still Neil Michaels. We have with us a guest that, well, you know, like I said, pretty damn excited about considering I grew up in the Baltimore, Washington area. And I will bet you, Greg Olson, that we were at some of the same games since you were on the mound and I was in the crowd. I've had, I've had a lot of people going, I was at that game. And I was like, so was I. <laughs> <laughs> I watched you do it. Were you at 2131? I was not. I was in Kansas City, sadly. Well, see, I got one on you there. <laughs> yep, you do. You I, do. I'm going to, before we get in, I'm going to tell you a story. I think I may have told John this off microphone at one point. I worked for home team sports at the time, 2131. For those of you who are not Cal Ripken asked, that was the day that Cal Ripken broke the longstanding Ironman streak. I worked for the, for the network. So I'm going up the elevator to the skybox. And right before they let us all in to the elevator, Tom Selleck walks by. He's in the elevator and I walk in the elevator with my now ex-wife and her best friend. And we turn around and Tom Selleck is standing in front of these two women. And I swear to God, one of them looked like they were gonna, she were going to grab him any second. And I looked at them and I was like, I work here. So don't do that. <laughs> 
I remember the home run. I remember Messina pitching. And of course, I remember the Cal taking the victory lap. And they remember almost grabbing Tom Selleck. And I just remembered in, 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 with his time with, with the Orioles, man, I was a Red Sox fan. So can I go get some coffee? I'll be back. Sure. <laughs> yeah. For we, don't yeah need we, you. Got, we, we got nothing good to say about you guys. So, yeah. <laughs> I will tell you, Greg, that we had Fred Lynn on a while back and John fanboyed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> that I, it, I I'm you know, surprised I, he's still I, alive. I, I got to be honest. As good of a person as he is, yeah, it, it's it's not hard. Yeah, he, he he is such a solid human being. Got to know him on the golf circuit a little bit. We I was kind of roaming around Baltimore in '88, and he was still with the team, hadn't been traded yet. They brought me up to Baltimore for whatever stuff they were doing with the first round pick in 88. So I was kind of roaming around the clubhouse for about five minutes and he was around. So got to know him a little bit, saw him in Southern California quite a bit after both of our careers were over and uh, really, really solid dude. All right, John. So you can stay because, you know, you got the. Yeah, I know you're good. Okay. When we get a guest on, we like to tell people a little bit about your background. You played for your dad, Bill, in high school at Omaha Northwest. High school where you won not one, not two, not three, but four state championships. How's the pressure playing for dad? Well, for me, it was stressful. We were probably, you know, you couldn't transfer high schools. You were stuck in the district, at least in Omaha, you were stuck in the district that we you were in. And so you couldn't, you know, transfer high schools like you can do in, in college right now and leave and go wherever you want. So we had the same group of guys coming through Little League um, that I played with. And we just, I, I swear, we just outworked everybody. When it came time, you know, to to see who who's going to man up or who's not, we we didn't make an error. We got bunts down. We did everything everything right. And it was just because we out practiced, outworked, and it, it started back in '80 before I got there with a group of guys. They were as talented as anybody else. Just outworked everybody. Um, we had one game. Lost one game my freshman year, lost the first game my sophomore year, and then we didn't lose a game until midway through my senior year. So we won 54 straight games, and the game that we lost, it was our number three against their number one, and, you know, he walked five or six guys, and and, uh, we got beat, you know, whatever it was, but we never beat ourselves. We never made an error, never, you know, didn't get a bunt down. Always somebody found a way to get a clutch hit. And and it was it was really ridiculous over, you know, four straight years of a hundred and something and two. You know, wow. it was it was that it was that ridiculous. Talking about fundamentals, do you feel like part of the reason the Rangers and the Diamondbacks got as far as they did this year was because they did so many things right? Yeah. My guy I got to watch the, I I did the Diamondbacks Brewers playoff series for ESPN radio. You know, they stole bases. They and I, I've been talking about it for years, and I, I have nothing against today's game. I really don't. It's it it is what it is. But you've taken away the stolen base until you you have to shorten the base paths, and now all of a sudden it becomes analytically okay to risk an out to steal ninety feet. I've kind of sat there and I was like, yeah, but there there is no way that anybody in the world can quantify the pressure that it puts on a pitcher when I know that you're you're trying to steal second base. And so now I have to be quicker towards home plate. So I'm not as effective towards home plate. My catcher has to be absolutely perfect. If I'm a one, two, five to home plate, he has to be one, nine, one, nine, five. 
to give the team a chance and it has to be a, a good throw. And I was like, in, you know, you can quantify everything you want with war and, and, and all the expected stuff and everything that you guys are doing fine, but you can't tell me there's a human in the world that can quantify the pressure that it puts on a pitcher because not one of them have ever been on a mount. You also now have a time clock to deal with. Well, I'm not even thinking about the time clock. I'm just going, you know what? Put Ricky Henderson at first base. His whole job's tried to get to second base and you got Carney Lansford at the plate. And tell me the the pressure that you're under as a pitcher to keep him at first base when you know Carney Lansford is going to slice something through the 43 hole. I got to make a pitch so that he doesn't do that. You can quantify everything you want with your expected ERAs and your expected batting averages, but you can't quantify the pressure that it puts on a pitcher. And That's it's right. been completely lost in the game. And we've had to make the bases bigger so that <laughs> it becomes something that is, I, I'm not even going to say quantify again, because I hate that word. It's its its really kind of hard to fathom. But how, how much of, of what you have to deal with as a pitcher is that pressure? You have a 50-50 mindset. I have fifty percent of my mind on Ricky Henderson over at first base. Yeah, I can imagine. I have fifty percent of my mind on Carney Lansford batting second, yeah. and I know that we got McGuire Canseco or McGuire Baines coming up behind them. And if I make a mess out of this, my my room to get out of this jam is has gotten really really slim. Mm-hmm. You can't again quantify the the pressure it puts on a pitcher when you know a guy's going to steal. I have to try to give my catcher a chance with a good pitch. So you, you, you don't want to throw a breaking ball. And now I'm trying to be one, two, one, one, five, something quick to the plate with a fastball. But Carney Lansford standing up there and, and just kills fastballs. And you're like, where am I at here? What, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to hope that I give my catcher a decent pitch to throw on so he can throw Ricky out, which never happens? Right. Or do I let Ricky steal and try to get Carney Lansford to pull a soft ground ball to shortstop so Ricky's not on third base with one out? You know, I mean, that's something that can't be quantified. And it, it's comical to sit on the outside going, you guys are trying to label this. There's not a math ma- mathematician alive that can that, that can put a number on what this means and, and what they're doing when I know this guy's going to steal like Corbin Carroll, right. you know, 50 stolen bases. It's like, you know, he's going to steal. It's a perfect situation. I'm a right-hander. I'm one, two to the plate. You know, he's going to steal. Now, are you going to do something where this guy's going to slice a ball through the 43 hole because my second baseman's covering? There's so much to it. And it's laughable to think that people sitting in an office with a computer is going, yeah, this is going to happen. You started all of this by saying you don't have any problem with today's game. And I don't think any of us do because like anything, it evolves, but you can't look at analytics and tell what a guy is capable of, of doing in a pressure situation or the guts, or is this guy, if, if he's an outfielder and there's a sinking liner, is, is he the guy who's going to dive for it? Or is he the guy who's going to pull up and let the guy get a base hit? Is the manager looking to try to get a double play, you know, in the situations you were talking about? I mean, all of the analytics that come down. But where's the human factor? Where's the gut? When you get a great manager, like we just saw in the World Series, the guts, the human factor comes into play. Well, you look at you know a couple of the guys that have won the, the championship over the last couple of years. Dusty Baker looks at it. I've talked to him before games, you know, takes it in. You know, what does this mean? What can I use? I'm sure Bochy's the same way. I'm sure Buck Showalter is the same way. I'm sure Brian Snitker is the same way. And it's kind of like, you know, you start getting a pattern of going, hmm, where are we at? Let's uh, maybe start moving a little back, you know, a little bit back close to center. 
I teach a sports analytics class for TV production here at Auburn University. And we go through baseball and I'm just I just look at him. I was like, when you see an X in front of something, that means somebody's expecting something that's never played the game. And they're expecting your ERA to be this, or you're expecting your batting average to be this. And I was like, and I stood on the mound for, you know, almost 600 games in the major leagues. I never knew what was going to happen. So you're telling, you're, you're telling me some dude that's 23 years old that has a computer in the front office is putting an X in front of my ERA for the year. Like, yeah, no, please stop. Please stop with the X stuff. Please stop using the expected batting averages to set lineups in the minor leagues. I want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff you did. In 1989, you were the American League Rookie of the Year, 27 saves, a 1.69 ERA, which is insane, and the first reliever ever to win Rookie of the Year. So now you look into your glass ball here. Do you see that ever happening again? You know what? I don't know. I mean, you, you you look at some of the the guys that we've gotten from Japan that have come over and jumped into the closer role. I got the ball a lot, was very effective in 89. Yeah, I could see it happening again. And and I, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say it's going to be a guy that should be a senior in college. But it was one of those things where I, I was untouched, unmessed with, hadn't thought about anything other than how to wipe guys out. And, um, and I was, you know, really effective with it. It's hard to say, you know, I mean, you got Ishiro coming over and Nomo coming over from Japan and being rookies of the year. And you're going, you played six years in the big leagues in Japan. I was like, you know, so to say a rookie's never, you know, going to win rookie of the year as a closer. uh, You know what? That's off the table. In 1991, on July 13th, I don't know if I was at this game, but I sure as hell remember it. You, Bob Malacky, Mike Flanagan, and Mark Williamson combined for a no-hitter. Bob Malacky was one of my favorite people on the planet, the salt-of-the-earth guy. These guys hand you the ball, and all you have to do is close out a no-hitter. Come on, Greg, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Now, you know, I, I I have told it over and over again. I have never been more uh, nervous in my life. For a game, yes, and I, I, I mean, honestly, it was to the point where I was rooting against Flanagan or Williamson coming in the seventh or eighth just to give up a hit. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just, just so I mean, it it was bad enough to walk into Oakland, you know. And I joke about it when I when I'm doing games, but it's almost a 100% certainty I'm going to get either two, three, four, three, four, five, one, two, three coming up in the ninth inning. Right. I don't think I've ever gotten seven, eight, nine. <laughs> and so I'm I'm sitting there and, and I'm 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 doing the math on who's coming up, and it's Dave Henderson, who's a notorious, you know, clutch hitter. And then you got Canseco, and then I and then that year they had Baines. And I was like, I don't get Baines out anyway. And I'm, I'm just kind of sitting there going, you know, a two-run lead's fairly safe. I'm not going to give up a home run. I, I I didn't do, you know, I didn't give up a whole lot of home runs early in my career. So I was like going, yeah, they can they can piece together. But golly, it's like Lancer's batting fifth. I'm going, come on. And then I was like, now you're telling me, I mean, I, I know I'm going to at least walk somebody. <laughs> you know, because that's just what I do. And um, I was like, now I got a two-run lead and I can't give up a hit? I was like, somebody give up, somebody just give up a hit and I'll take the two-run lead and we'll be good. <laughs> yeah, that was I, I, I was as nervous as I've ever been. And I got, at that point, I'd really gotten pretty good about throwing fastballs down and away. 
behind in the count or, you know, in, in situations. And I'd gotten, you know, my, I'd worked really hard about locating fastballs down and away to righties. Henderson came up and I kind of, I wasn't really locked in. I wasn't engaged. It was weird. Hmm. And it wasn't normal. And it was, it, I think it was the stress of it where I was just kind of like walking through it a little bit and don't walk this guy, don't do this. And then he hits a ground ball to Ripken and the whole backhand comes up, makes a play. And it was, it was a good pitch. And he had tried to pull it down and away fastball. I just kind of sat there and I was like, I watched Ripken make the play. And I was like going, you better wake the blank up. <laughs> or you're gonna you're gonna you're you're gonna screw this no hitter up. You got a shot right here. You got two outs to get. Let's go. <laughs> and I locked in and punched out Canseco and I punched out Baines and and I got I got nasty. But it it was for a split second of where I was kind of like walking through it, going, "What am I doing? This isn't me." Mm-hmm. I, you know. And I kind of found a way for the first time in my life to light my hair on fire and uh, kind of got ugly after that. Oh, man. I think that might be the greatest story we have heard on this podcast, and we're working on a hundred podcasts. So no, that's good. That's yeah. awesome. I'm glad I could help. There you yeah, go. Yeah, so are we, man. We'll, we'll keep, yeah. keep this for uh, for posterity. Speaking here, and uh, we we're going to take a quick break. The man also plays golf, and he probably talks to himself when he does that too. We'll talk about that. Come right back. We are the approach <laughs> shot. Hang out with us. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-441-9109. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-441-9109. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-441-9109 to donate your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts. Yes, we are back in all our resplendent glory. We are The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels, and I am not talking to myself yet. I am still talking with Greg Olson, as you are, John. And before we get into the nervousness of golf, I want to talk about another kind of nervousness. You become a broadcaster for ESPN Radio. How is that? You know, it's a lot of fun. I end up spending three, four hours before every game prepping and giving myself all this knowledge that uh, I think right now probably a good percentage would be about, I use about 10% of it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. But if something comes up where it's like, hey, he's hit a double on three straight times when he comes up, you know, with a guy on third base and two out, you know, something stupid. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of prep work. It's a little bit of nervousness, you know, nothing near where it's it's like, OK, the worst thing I can do is say something and get fired. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> other than that. Yeah. So how's the golf game these days? Uh, today was a 77 with five, three putts. So and you played all 18 holes. 77. I played all 18 holes. Okay, good. Uh, okay. Okay. The the mind is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> and um I started thinking about putting past some of the holes. Our greens are very fast and undulated. Mm-hmm. And I started really focusing on not 
putting past the hole. So then I ended up leaving myself four, five, six feet, you know, coming oh, in for the second putt and actually, actually, actually made a large chunk of them. It could have been a lot worse, <laughs> but <laughs> it hit a whole bunch of fairways, hit the greens. And then I was standing on the greens going, don't three putt, shut up. <laughs> and we're having, I'm having that conversation. I, I had a lot on the mound going, well, don't throw a fastball down the middle. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so if you ever, you know, kind of look back and you saw me talking to myself, it was a lot of don't do this. Shut up. Don't mm-hmm. say that. And then I'd say, you know, you shut up. <laughs> and we'd go back and forth and I'd end up ultimately winning the conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd like to just grab a seat and watch that. That sounds like oh, it could no, be a there, 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 were, there, were, there were There were so many of those. How long do you have? so at some point it was 94 95 i can't think of who i was with and i was facing bob hamlin with kansas city he ended up winning rookie of the year he was a big dude i got him on a a a bad check swing on a breaking ball and it was like all right just throw that one again you'll punch him out you know it was a one you know it made it a one-two count and i and i stood on the mound and i was like just don't hang it because if you hang it he's gonna hit this ball so far into the parking lot in kansas city that that the fountains are gonna stop (laughs) and some poor kids probably walking you know walking home and he's going to get hit dang if i didn't hang it and it was like <laughs> all right you know and then i find out later on the mind doesn't understand don't mm-hmm. well i'm trying to elaborate this to younger kids and and it, it it comes out in a better story of i go to the dodgers and i'm in my house in california it's the off season and it was like a kind of a, a mid-off day for me i, I kind of set my own throwing programs because I'm, I'm 34 or 35 years old and so i knew what i was doing and so i'm across the street and i, I had a three-car garage and in the left garage was a big net you know probably eight feet high eight feet wide and I could stand across the street at about 70, 80, 90 feet and throw into that net into the garage. My one goal in life was to get an H1 Hummer. So I had an H1 Hummer and it was sitting in the middle of the slots. Threw one, I got a little sloppy. I threw one, it still hit the net, but it missed the side mirror of my driver's side by, it had to be two inches. <laughs> and so I pick up the next ball and I was like, don't hit the mirror. I I smashed. I I absolutely and utterly smashed the mirror. I mean, I'm talking 70 feet away. It was dead perfect right in the middle of the mirror. Just blew Mm -hmm. it up. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing there. I was like going, the mind really does not understand don't. I was like, I, I, I would have a really hard time doing that from 70 feet at any point in my life. And I just did it in a no-brainer moment, smashed it. And so after that, I'm like, I'm standing on the putting green. And every time I'm like, don't leave it short, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, don't miss this two and a half foot, you know, par putt up the hill. Shut up. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I have to tell myself to shut up because I'm thinking all the all the worst, you know, worst case scenarios. And so that's that's my that's my golf game. Yeah. I used to tell people that that every body of water had a magnet for my golf balls. Yeah. Because they were telling well, you're you like, say, don't, don't hit it in the lake. Don't hit well, it in the water. Yeah. Don't yeah, hit it in you're, the water. You're, your mind's going, your mind eliminates don't, and then it yep. goes, hit it in the water. And you're you going to do exactly. Race. Yep. And you do exactly what you need to do. So, and then so you now got I've gotten smart and I'm always par three. It's always put it on the green, put it on the green, yes. and get it close. Don't just don't say don't. Just, don't say don't. Nope. Don't say I've don't. Double, eliminated I, it I from did, my vocabulary. I just did a double negative. Don't say don't. <laughs> 
we can we can do a video of of stupid Greg moments. <laughs> and my question is, how, how much does it cost to replace a side mirror on an H two Hummer? Uh, you know what? It was an H one. It was the H1 original old. black Ooh. wagon. <laughs> Dude was a boss. I don't remember. It's been 20 yeah. years. I was still playing. I, I mean, I absolutely smashed it. It was perfect. <laughs> right in the middle of the mirror. It was absolutely perfect. What a time to throw a curveball. That would have been a good time for a curve. That would have been good. And you know what? That would have been good just to get on the outside of the ball and cut it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, well. So if you are telling yourself, don't say don't, then what are you going to say when we throw the six pack? at you the six pack because that's what's coming next mm. i told you questions. you know what if i don't if i don't like it i'm not playing no <laughs> not, it doesn't work that way doesn't no it does way. no it's my game no you're stuck you have to, now, you, Frank. No, you, sorry no you, you you have to understand this is my game this is my world i'll, I'll play if i want to play <laughs> fine uh, we'll take our chances when we come right back with All the right. six-pack and Craig Olson right here on the Approach Shot. Hang out. If your company stayed open during COVID, I have some great news for you. Government funds are available to reward companies who stayed open during the challenging time. Now, this is not a loan, and you do not have to pay it back. Your hard work to stay open could qualify you for up to $26,000 per employee at covidpayment.com. You heard that correct, up to $26,000 per employee. This program is complicated, but nobody knows more about it than the tax experts at covidpayment.com. You pay nothing up front. They do all the work and share a percentage of the cash they get you. Businesses of all types, including nonprofits and churches, can qualify including those who took PPP loans. If you have five or more employees, let covidpayment.com help get you up to $26,000 per employee. Visit covidpayment.com. That's covidpayment.com. covidpayment.com. Have you ever tried to buy gold and silver and felt like you were talking to a used car salesman? That's because the precious metals industry is like the Wild West. Salesmen can say pretty much anything or make any promise they want without repercussion. But Genesis Gold Group is different. They're a faith-driven Christian precious metals company and believe in educating their customers, not pressuring them for a quick sale. Genesis Gold Group focuses on customer service, not sleazy marketing. Genesis Gold Group is named after the first book of the Bible for a reason. Proper stewardship of wealth is their specialty. Find out why they've earned a 5 out of 5 rating through the Better Business Bureau and how they can help you secure your wealth or retirement through physical precious metals. Call right now to learn more. 800-239-6987. 800-239-6987. 800-239-6987. That's 800-239-6987. Okay, we have a drum roll. So far, he's still here, but we haven't thrown the rules at him yet. Right, we haven't thrown the rules at him. This so. is the six-pack portion of the approach shot. I'm John Ashton. I'm apparently Greg Olson's caddy. You know what? Hey, just don't screw up. I will fire you. <laughs> apparently so. <laughs> well, you know what? what you mean we that was 165. I just hit that ball in the ocean. You're out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> We got a six pack of questions for you. This is the way right. it's going to work, Greg. This is the way it's going to work. Whether you participate, obviously, is still to be discussed, but this is the way it works. 
We ask you six questions. We fire match you. Boom, boom, boom. We want you to give us the very first thing that comes to mind. No thinking about it. No hemming and hawing. If you do, you'll hear. You ready? Yep. You're playing, right? Here we go. Right now. <laughs> Question one. The approach shot genie just arrived and he's giving you one superpower. What superpower do you choose and why? Wait, the approach shot genie? I mean, yeah, we got a I, genie. I can get whatever I, yeah, I can get whatever I want. You got a superpower. Oh, I'd like to know what's going to happen. Ooh, prophecy. A little a little peek into the future, huh? Yeah, prophecy. I've told people I want to be invisible, but somehow that always ends up sounding creepy. Like I'm going to end up in the yeah I, that, no I, yeah, yeah no I I I went there for a split second and I was like going that's no nah, that's creepy because yeah. then they're going to go you're the dude in the shower and you're weird and that's, so yeah. I, I, I I'm going with prophecy okay question two who is the worst golfer that you play with but you enjoy so much that you keep asking them to play with you if I say that I'm never allowed back <laughs> in my course in Auburn <laughs> I'm never going to be allowed back I can't say it. Come on, nobody listens to this show. Nope, I can't say it. No. How about some? In, how about two? In, how about initials? He knows every. Nope. He knows everything. <laughs> nope. Love him to death. Yep. Nope. Not nope. doing it. Does he know now that you've said that that you're talking about him? No. There's enough of a doubt. Okay. There's a reason that we have reasonable doubt right now. That's All right. right. He Doctor. can deny it. No problem. Question three: Seventeen-year-old Greg is getting ready for his prom. Do you remember who you took and what you wore? Wow. I think it was her. This one can't hurt you too bad. Right? I think it was uh, I, I think it was Candace and she made me wear a light blue suit. That's pretty. How's that? that must have been pretty. Oh yeah, I know it's really pretty. Oh, I got just verbally abused for the whole freaking prom. But yes. <laughs> light blue, was it a leisure suit? Yeah, uh, no, it was actually a nice tuxedo. It was just light blue. Because hmm. it ma it matched a flower. I don't know. Uh, uh, anyway, matched her yeah. eyes. Moving on. You know, you just said really pretty and light blue tuxedo in the same sentence, right? Yeah, no, it was a really pretty light blue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I First, had to have a lot of manliness in, in my senior year to have worn that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and now that you're at Auburn, you can tell all of these guys how manly it is and make them do it. Yeah, you know what? They do the same thing. You know yeah. what? She was she was cute. So she was cute. Yeah. All right. Question four. People call a good curveball Uncle Charlie. What would people call your tee shots? You know, a little Darth Vader. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Why is that? A little cut, uh, a little Darth. <laughs> Not Vader, Fader, Fader, F-A-D-E-R. God, how about that? The man is creative. He is yeah. creative little, as well. Little, little, little Darth Fader. <laughs> A side note, I told my wife that question, and she said, if he's not creative, that's going to bomb. Yeah, and it did Look at what you did. Darth Fader. There you yeah. go. All right. Question five, and this is appropriate considering the conversation. Who was a more hated rival, Alabama when you were at Auburn or the Yankees when you were with the Orioles? You know what? I, I honestly was an equal opportunity hater. <laughs> <laughs> I really was. I, I, I didn't I, like any of them. Damn it. <laughs> I, I, I hated the whole SEC. I hated the whole AL. I hated everybody in the American League. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I really it, it was it wasn't even a one A one B. 
It was <laughs> just everybody. Every, every everybody's one A. Uh-huh. And so, you know, Alabama, Vanderbilt, Florida, Georgia, Yankees, Red Sox, Tigers, Indians. Oh, yeah. Hated them all. And while you're at it, get the hell off my lawn. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> and if you run across my mound, I'm going to trip you and then hit the next guy. <laughs> all right. Question six. We ask this of everybody who comes on the show since we are the approach shot. Greg Olson, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by? Wow. Um, I would love to say treat others as you want to be treated, but I find myself not doing that as well as I need to. So honestly, it's it's try to live as Jesus did. You know, for me, you know, love everybody and turn the other cheek is really, really hard for me, mm. but that would be it. That's awesome and so confusing after we just talked about how you hated everybody. <laughs> I hated everybody. <laughs> I, and, that was then. This is I, now. No, I mean, I openly admit it. At the end of the day, you know, they're they're still human beings and they, they might be nice guys. I might have played with them. It's just <laughs> it's in the middle of the moment, I have to give you the idea that I might kill you. The idea. And that, that was, you know, okay. I was playing, it was 91. I think Dwight Evans came over from Boston to us. As you're walking onto the field or off the field after batting practice, you see guys that you know, you see guys you don't know. And Chili Davis is the nicest human being on the face of the earth, and he always wants to talk. Well, I got Chili out a lot. So Chili grabs me, and it wants to have a conversation. And Dwight Evans, you know, my my first-year teammate in Baltimore, in 91 grabs me and pulls me off the field there, you know, right after batting practice. I was like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, that's Chili Davis. And he goes, he just wants to know if you're nice. And I'm going, huh? He just wants to make sure that you're not going to kill him. And I'm going, huh? I, I, I didn't realize that aspect was in play. I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, I'll, I'll, ha- I'll have to be a bigger pecker when I'm walking off the field and ignore, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. and everybody else that wants to talk and say, hey, I was like, all right, I can do that. <laughs> you know, and, and that was the conversation. He literally drugged me into the dugout going, get away from him. I'm going, what? I was like, that's Chili Davis. He goes, he just wants to know if you're nice. I was oh like, going, I am nice. And he goes, yeah, but you don't want him to know that. <laughs> and I was like, valid point. You know what? I mean, I'm wild enough that there's a threat that I might whack you. Yeah. And then I I, I look like I might whack you. And so there's this whole conversation of, you know, of me again, walking up the, the tunnel by myself going, oh, I could whack him. But I, <laughs> why would I whack him? <laughs> yeah, but you need to beat the pecker and, and whack him every once. And I was like, yeah, but why? And so I'm going back and forth on myself in the tunnel going up in Oakland going, it was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of talking to yourself going on. Oh, yeah. No, I, 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 I won every conversation. Sometimes it's the only way to guarantee an intelligent conversation is to talk yeah. to yourself, man. Well, you know, I, I have said it for years and my wife completely and utterly disagrees. I am the only <laughs> normal person I've ever played with. <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> sort of thought that too. Yeah, this, this conversation is certain of reinforcing. I am the sure. only normal person that I ever played baseball with. And do you argue with yourself about that, or is that? Oh no, absolutely? I won that one. That that one that one's okay. a no brainer. Yeah, right. everybody else is really weird. I am completely and utterly normal. 
Now, do you ever brag and tell people that every every time you got up to every hit you've ever had is a home run? I, I will mention the fact that every time I put a ball in play, it, it, it goes deep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have fouled a couple balls off. They they weren't they weren't pretty, but I have fouled a couple balls off. There there are two foul balls. Anything I put in fair territory is a bomb. <laughs> hey, before we go. You also wrote a book called We Got to Play Baseball. I started running around and uh, I was playing on a celebrity golf tour. And then I started scouting and I was running into a whole bunch of major leaguers. And and it was a really easy question. I was like, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. Give me your favorite baseball story. You know, hypothetically, we're sitting at a bar and we had a couple beers. And one of your favorite all-time stories. And... Man, I got like 180, 200 of them. We cut uh, it down to 60, 60 for the book. I talk about uh, my Barry Bonds walk with the bases loaded on May 28th, May 27th. That comes up every year. Jim Palmer gave me some. Uh, the late Brooks Robinson gave me four great ones. Bob Gibson, uh, Goose Gossage. It was, it was phenomenal. The stories, you know, before cell phones came out, what, you know, what players did. You know, yeah. on or off the field. George Brett gave me the fine tar story, his version. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was there. There's some some priceless stories. Sixty mildly short stories. You can do it in a couple of days. You can do it sitting on the toilet. You can. It's a great book. Cool. Excellent. I'm going to pick up a copy just because you said so. Well, don't do it on Amazon because I don't think they're paying me anymore. So <laughs> okay. You have them in the trunk of your car. Do I have to come? Do I have to come get it out of the trunk? Drive you know down what? I really, I, I should put some in my car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a well. You, you're teaching kids in Auburn. Let's teach them. Yeah. you know, a little bit of of the, the most important thing in the world. X, no, X does not mean anything. That's no. what I'm teaching. X, X does, does not mean, mean anything. Oh, it, it, it's comical. It really is. It was it was so much fun to write. You know, I, I transcribed the, um, I, I have everything on tape, wrote it down as they said it. My partner did a little background or bios on everybody. I mean, it was a blast. It was an absolute blast hearing some and of the what stories. was the title again? We got to play baseball. This is coming out mid-November. For Make an excellent Christmas gift. Christmas. Yeah, for people who are looking for a holiday gift, go get it. At there you go. Barnes- barnesandnoble.com or someplace other than Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> or, the, or the back of Greg's car. Back of Greg's yeah. car. You're in the neighborhood. Just find, find, find my pickup here in Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> there you go. Just drive it around and just have a little flag. Yep. Buy it here. <laughs> Ice cream truck. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Greg, oh, it's been great having you on the show. We really do appreciate it. My pleasure. It. I, I do sorry, think. Sorry about being late. Oh, we Not don't... a problem, man. We were here. You made up for it. Trust us. That's right. You gave us well, some good lines. Like I said, I, I was on the golf course and thought I would get Wi-Fi driving over. And then I realized it was a Zoom call. And I was like, you know, I probably shouldn't drive and do a Zoom call and look into the camera. When you're doing a golf-flavored podcast like this, if the reason you're late is because you're playing golf, it's completely acceptable. It is. All right. There with, you go. A, with a little smirk of jealousy attached. No, it was good. It was, it yeah. was uh, yeah, it was good. It, it was an entertaining round of golf. Oh, cool. Excellent. Just we appreciate as entertaining it, man. it was having you. Absolutely, my pleasure. I enjoyed right, it. And guys. since you're really such did. an accomplished closer, man, get the lights on the way out, okay? Yep. Appreciate it. On the way out. Okay. Close <laughs> it out. Good. Thanks, Greg. See you, boys. Thank you. 
You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net.